0: Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. You are so welcome. If we have never met before, my name is Andy. I'm the senior pastor here at Lagan Valley Vineyard. Uh, if you've just connected with us recently or this is your first time, we are so, so glad that you're here. It, it feels almost like we should whisper that like spring has arrived. And uh, we don't want to say that too loud in case the winter kind of reaches out and grabs us and pulls us back in. But it has been so good to see some brighter mornings, longer evenings, and all that kind of stuff. Um, Isn't it just so exciting what's going on with our teenagers? Can you please continue to pray for Chris and his team? And I just want to uh, reiterate what Lou said. Uh, If you're a parent of a teenager and you want more information about how your kids can get involved, just drop Chris a line, chris at uh, lagonvalleyvineyard.com. Also, I know loads of you over the last couple of months have been asking, how do I get more involved in compassion and what we're doing in the city? Well, this is your month. Uh, There's loads of uh, opportunities for you to get involved in that, uh, to deliver uh, furniture and to be involved in a home makeover and all those things. All of the information is on the website. Head over there and sign up. It's going to be a really, really important month. I wonder, when was the last time you completely lost it? Like totally out of control, co- completely like one of those moments where afterwards you're like, oh my goodness, I, I can't believe I actually uh, just just did that. Um, I-, I said this a couple of weeks ago, that anger often reveals love. That the things we get most angry about point to the things that we love the most. If Any of your friends with Liverpool fans right now, you should be aware that they're a little bit sensitive. Some of them are a little bit angry, and they're triggered rather easily, and that's just because they really love a football club that thought it was in the ascendancy, that thought they had a great team. But, you know, greatness is measured over uh, consecutive seasons, and anybody can be great for a moment in in that world. Um, Some of you are getting angry right now. Um, (laughs) anger, it it reveals what we love. My wife loves the dishwasher being packed correctly. I'm I'm not really sure what that is, but if any of you have any tips, you can text me. I I wonder, have any of you ever thought, what is it that makes God angry? I wonder, do you know that God does actually get angry, that there are things that makes God angry? They, they just, in my reading of the Scriptures, aren't quite the things that we kind of grow up thinking about here in Northern Ireland. The things that are presented to us often as the things that really make God angry are, aren't overly consistent with the moments when we see Him, His most angry in, in the Scriptures. Throughout most of Matthew's story of Jesus, Jesus is pretty um, typically found to be avoiding conflict. Like when, when things get tense Whenever stuff looks like a conflict is about to emerge, often you see Matthew record something along the lines of Jesus and his disciples withdrew, or they moved away, or or they just kind of disappear and vanish up some random hillside somewhere to reflect on all this crazy stuff that's going on in the world. There were some skirmishes but like we saw two weeks ago when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover and ultimately head right towards the cross, this is the moment in his life when the gloves are very much off. Driving the money changers out of the temple is just the beginning. And the passage that I want us to look at together today is quite, it's quite incredible. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 23. It's a fairly lengthy passage, so it might, might help you um, to, to read along with me. But this is Matthew 23. I'm going to read most of the chapter. Come, Holy Spirit. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything that they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their, some giant word that's hard to say, wide, and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor. At banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues, they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you're all brothers. He then jump on to verse thirteen. He says, "Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees! You hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces." you yourselves do not enter nor will you let those who those enter who are trying to woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees you hypocrites you travel over land and sea to win a single convert and when you have succeeded you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are woe to you blind guides you say if anyone swears by the temple it is nothing but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath you blind fools which is greater the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred you also say if anyone swears by the altar it means nothing but anyone who swears by the gift on that altar is bound by that oath you blind man which is greater the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, mercy, And faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape from being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify, others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth from the blood of the righteous, able to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all of this will come upon this generation, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Were my grandmother in the temple courts that day, I'm quite confident she would have remarked at the end of this rant, Jeepers Jesus, tell them what you really think. Such an intense rant. Let's pray. Jesus, we humbly welcome your word among us. Come, Holy Spirit. We need your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is the most remarkable sermon from Jesus. He, he literally unleashes both barrels unhindered on the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. I wonder, how do you do with conflict? What's your family's relationship with conflict? It's so interesting how all of our families have the way that conflict typically is, is done. Some of us avoid, some of us are loud, some of us have managed to figure out how to do it in a healthy way. Just imagine the tension in the air. The Pharisees and Jesus, like I said, they've been dancing around each other for years. Jesus has alluded to his disapproval of them before, and they have equally sought to catch him out repeatedly with technical theological questions and asking him things that they think is going to expose him as a false teacher. Here we see the unfiltered thoughts and opinion of Jesus laid out for everyone to see and to hear. The people, it says in the text, gather around Jesus in the temple courts. And it says that he said to the crowds, this is really, really important, that the word there, crowds, is plural. It's pretty accepted that there were just that in this temple court. There were all sorts of individual crowds of different types of people gathered around Jesus in their specific tribes. Over here were the Pharisees, and here were the teachers of the law, and here were society's elite, and the working men and women gathered together over here and the homeless and the outcasts perhaps in their own little corner, everyone with their tribe listening to what Jesus had to say. And he begins pointing at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, looking at everyone else. He says, be careful to do exactly what these people are telling you to do. You can Imagine the Pharisees and the teachers of the law thinking, well, Jesus this has started better than we perhaps thought. But just before they can relax, Jesus throws the sucker punch and lands right between the, between the eyes. But do not do what they do. But do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. Be careful to do what these guys say, but whatever you do, don't do what they do. The awkward meter in the courts just increased significantly. You can imagine the hush and the kind of squinting eyes from the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Where's he going with this? There it is right there. What is it that makes God angry? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Six times between verse 13 and 27, in this emotive outburst that is properly calculated from Jesus, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Woe to you guys. You hypocrites. On the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. There's something about hypocrisy that's universally accepted as just disgusting. It stinks. How many times? Over the past year, have we seen political leaders and officials have to resign under a cloud of shame and embarrassment as they were exposed to be doing the very thing that they were standing in front of cameras asking us not to? Of course, not here in Northern Ireland because, you know, well, enough said about that. When people who say one thing in public and do another thing in private, there is no debate about the morality of that. It's embarrassing. It's shameful. It is impossible to defend. There's an interesting debate on in the world about does truth exist? What is True. Just watch what happens when someone in a position of authority or power says, everybody, you must do that thing, and they get caught out doing another thing. There's a universal acceptance that there is right and wrong in the universe, and they are wrong. I don't know about you, but for me, when I read these words of Jesus, my chest gets a little bit tight. My stomach gets a little bit jittery. Why? The truth is, if we see ourselves correctly, we recognize we're all hypocrites. We all find ourselves in conversations on an almost weekly basis giving off or lambasting others for a standard not reached that we would never hold ourselves to. We all have things in our lives we say we believe, but do not practice. We, of course, perhaps have not been so brazen as to drive miles from home and when questions about it say that we had to go there to test our eyes. But there are parts of all of our lives that simply, they're not congruent. The life that we long to live, the person that we long to become, the image that we wish were true of ourselves, simply isn't. And it's important for us to recognize that. Historically, this has been the great sin of the church that we are too strict on others and too lenient on ourselves. The fruit of a passage like this, I hope, is not that we find ourselves shoulder to shoulder with Jesus, agreeing with His judgment on the Pharisees, Encourage him, encouraging Him on, go on, Jesus, let them have it. I hope that's not where you find yourself in this passage, but rather the fruit should be that we would find ourselves throwing ourselves at the feet of Jesus, recognizing that every single one of us is one of those Pharisees. Lord, have mercy on us when we turn a blind eye to the lost and the lowly and those in desperate need of your love. Lord, have mercy on us when we Speak up when we should be silent. Lord, have mercy on us when we're silent, when we should speak up. Lord, have mercy on us when we somehow think that Almighty God owes us a destiny. (laughs) The secret posture to life in the kingdom of God is one of humility. And it's the absence of that that causes the wrath of Jesus to be poured out on the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You see, it is out of the soil of humility that truly loving hearts grow because it is humility that allows us to see ourselves in the eyes of every broken soul we meet on the road. Judgment, it's a real thing but it should be left to the only one qualified to exercise it. And that is most certainly not you and me. You see, when we judge, we almost always do it out of a heart that's postured towards superiority. We harbor attitudes like, I would never do that until... Maybe months or years later, the circumstances align where we find ourselves doing that very thing. We have to be so careful when it comes to who gets to sit in seats of judgment, pronouncing all kinds of things over all kinds of people. The tribal nature of the world that we live in today makes this really, really difficult because there are whole groups of people that feel so empowered that they get to judge others because, well, that's how everybody feels, right? And if we actually don't, then there's judgment for that. When God judges, it doesn't flow from a heart of superiority, even though he would have every right to take that posture. God's judgment, as we see in this passage, flows out of a heart that's broken. God doesn't delight in judgment. He is heartbroken by it. The end of this speech of Jesus, Jesus says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and yet you were not willing. Jesus says, Jerusalem, I know your history. I know where you've been. I know the mess that you're up to your neck in, and I have longed to gather you under my wings. The imagery is so odd when we think of God describing Himself like a mother hen, not an eagle, not some majestic bird of prey, but a humble, simple farmyard creature that would maternally gather lost little things to the warmth of her own breast. You can hear the anguish and the heartache, this confrontation and proclamation. It's not a victory speech. It's not a declaration of superiority. It is a heartbroken lament. Jesus is looking at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and He's saying, "'My heart is broken because of you. I wish this were different. I wish you had made different choices.'" And friends, for you and for me, the reality is that it is not too late. Whoever you are and wherever you are, Jesus looks at us and says, no matter your past, no matter your mistakes, (laughs) no matter the judgment that you were proclaiming from the rooftops last night or this morning, no matter the levels of hypocrisy, In your past or present, Jesus looks at us and says, I long to gather you to myself. All you need to be is willing. When he says those final words, how I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. I wonder how willing are we in this moment? You've heard me say this so many times. You cannot be too sinful for Jesus. It is impossible to be too sinful for Jesus. But you can be too proud. You can be too proud. What is it that makes God angry? Anything and anyone who would put obstacles between him and his children, who would try to pretend to be living some kind of life that is not true, real, or accurate? Will we, will we humble ourselves before Jesus? Will we stop playing the game of trying to present that everything's together, and I'm winning at life to everyone around us, and come before Jesus and say, I'm a mess, and I need You, and thank You that You gather me to Yourself. Would You be willing, would You be willing, this morning, in this moment, to open your heart to Jesus, to give up the hypocrisy? And to say, Jesus, I need you. I'm going to invite Jamie and uh, the band to come and lead us in worship as we respond. Jesus has no desire to catch you out in your sin. He sees it already. He just wants you to recognize it and say, Jesus, I need you. As the guys come, let me pray. Maybe it'd be helpful where you are. Just open your hands in front of you. It's a simple physical embodiment of how you feel before God that you want to receive what he has just open your hands come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit come come Holy Spirit we welcome you now we invite you into our homes we invite you into our kitchens into our living rooms into our cars into our offices and our studies we welcome you come Some of you, this is a moment for you to just confess what's true. You're a mess, <laughs> and that's okay. It's okay. Things in your life that you can't get under control, habits, destructive behaviors that you just can't seem to conquer. You cannot be too sinful for Jesus, only too proud. Just come humbly, confess that Jesus, I'm a mess. Jesus, I need you. Some of you are maybe going, well, I'm not a mess, Andy. But there's definitely some things that could be better. Just welcome the presence of Jesus wherever you are. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, we need you. Lord, we throw ourselves upon your mercy in this moment. We throw ourselves upon you gather us as a mother hand with her chicks we welcome you Lord Jesus